Warning, this podcast contains adult language, mature content, and material not suitable for younger or more sensitive listeners. You have been warned. Welcome back, Spooky Nation. Last time we flew around the world to explore our dream paranormal destinations, and boy, are our arms tired. (sighs) Fucking Jade! Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) This is what you get for letting me write the outline. (sighs) That is what you get. Never again. Never again. (laughs) All right, all right. Sorry, guys. All that travel really aggravated her IPS, irritable pun syndrome. (sighs) Hmm. Yeah. You know what? We're just going to do our intros now. Yeah. <laughs> and hey, don't worry about the way the Kool-Aid tastes. It's fine. I'm Lauren. <laughs> to quote my favorite murder, you're in a cult. Call your dad. I'm Jade. Hello, I'm your inner demons. We have pamphlets for you. May we come in? I'm Vivian. No, they need to stay out. <laughs> but we have to be invited in. That's how it works. They need to stay way out. <laughs> So we're back this week to talk about one of our favorite topics. No, not serial killers. Not this week. Wink, wink. (laughs) No. This week, we'll be diving headfirst into three of the most bugfucknutters cults that we have ever heard of. Speaking of bugfucknutters, Quincy. Hi, guys. Hey, guys. How the fuck did you survive being pushed out of a plane? You're not going to believe me. Uh, when you pushed me out of the plane, we were flying over a carnival, and I had right an inflatable castle and bounced my way over to the funnel cakes and cotton candy. Damn it! <laughs> I forgot all about the COVID carnival. <laughs> Stupid. Well, Lauren, what are we going to do this time? Mm, you know what? What if... What if this time we don't do anything, guys? What? Wait, wait what? hear me out. Hear I me like out. that idea. Hey, shh. Hear me out. What if we just have a picnic, you know, with some food, a nice blanket, maybe some uh, <clears throat> Kool-Aid? I like the blue kind. Oh. What kind do you like? The blue. You're getting grape. Oh. Yeah. That's my second favorite. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do. You're getting diet grape. <laughs> diet grape, like shy grape. <laughs> You're getting shy grape flavor. <laughs> we're just going to put one drop of the powder in it. And no sugar. You don't get sugar. And just water. <laughs> wait, is... wait, wait. Wasn't there something about don't worry about how the Kool-Aid tastes in your intro? Yeah, exactly. it's diet. Yeah, it's, it's diet. That's the only weird thing about That's it. That's what's weird. It's just yeah. it's diet Kool-Aid. Okay. Other than yeah, that, so... it's perfectly normal. Drink it and shut up. Yeah, I said don't worry about it. Better put enough sugar. There's just plenty there's of no sugar. There's plenty of sugar in it. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of dear old Nutter Butter Jim Jones, before we ghoul babes dive into our chosen cults, we're going to discuss perhaps one of the most notable cults in modern American history. Get yourself a cup of blue Kool-Aid. Not you, though. You stick with your grape. Your shy grape. Diet grape. (laughs) And get comfy, because this is Jonestown. Reverend Jim Jones was a charismatic preacher who established the People's Temple in Indianapolis in the early 1950s. Jones was a voracious reader as a child who had few friends, but studied the works of Stalin, Marx, Mao Zedong, Gandhi, and Hitler. 
One of those things is not like the other one. That's one right. of those things That's just right. doesn't belong there. He was often described as a, quote, really weird kid. <laughs> I mean, we're all pretty just pretty much described that way, aren't we? I mean, I mean at one point or another. <laughs> Why don't you go sit over there next to that weird, weird kid? Next to that weird kid that smells like paste. <laughs> and who's really obsessed with religion and death. Yeah, that one. He was also probably the one that smelled like paste. Probably. He was probably the one that was like, oh, if you dip the crayons in it, oh, delicious. To die for, am I right? This one tastes like blue. <laughs> Why don't you go sit over in the corner of a Jimmy Paste Eater? <laughs> Jones hardly seemed to fit the mold of religious zealot, being a fervent communist in his youth. He viewed the church as the best way to espouse his Marxist beliefs and noticed during a faith healing at a Seventh-day Adventist church service that such things attracted people and money, two things Jones would see as an easy means to an end. He preached against racism, perhaps the result of being raised in a racist household, where he and his father, whom Jones and a childhood friend would claim had become involved with the Ku Klux Klan, would clash over issues of race. His integrated congregation would attract many African-American members. In 1965, he would relocate the People's Temple to Northern California in Ukiah, ultimately settling down in San Francisco in 1971. In 1977, despite glowing recommendations and involvement with local politicians, the church and Jones came under scrutiny for financial fraud, physical abuse of its members, and mistreatment of children. Jones, who was growing increasingly paranoid and who had begun declaring himself the, quote, reincarnation of Gandhi, Father Divine, Buddha, Jesus, and Vladimir Lenin, would invite his congregation to move with him to Guyana, where they would build a self-sufficient socialist utopia. Again, one of those things does not fit. Nope. No, awful full of himself, this one. I mean, <laughs> a lot of, lot, of, lot of voices in that head, I'm sure. Oh, definitely. And a lot of cult leaders were super, super fucking full of themselves. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As it turns out, they feel quite good about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> As it turns out, they're very confident. You know, like narcissists usually are. Gasp! Do tell! surprise. <laughs> Three years earlier, a small group of followers had forged ahead to set up what would ultimately be called Jonestown. Followers were given pamphlets showing beautiful beaches and a tropical paradise that awaited the faithful, packaged and sold as, quote, heaven on earth. This was a far cry from the muddy, cramped hell they would find themselves in. The compound, which was built intending to house 300 people, was now bursting at the seams with over 1,100, leaving food and sleeping space at a premium. Temple members worked for long days in the compound's fields and were punished harshly if they questioned Jones's decisions or authority. You know, sucks, man. Fucking, you know. It just sounds like the worst summer camp ever. <laughs> no. Ever. <laughs> Bobby. Go to summer camp, they say. No. You Bobby. show up with like all your bikinis Bobby. and your sun hat and your surfboard. And like... it's just mud and misery and <laughs> like I got bikini body ready for, for this. This. <laughs> this was not in the brochure. Oh no, this was not in the brochure. Oh, I'm gonna write a Yelp review. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna need to speak to somebody's manager. I'm gonna need to see somebody about this because this was not as advertised. No. Karen, Karen, where are you? Zero out of ten would not recommend. Oh, I need some Karen energy right now. We're gonna blow this motherfucker up. We gonna light you up. I'm gonna write a strongly worded note. I am disappointed. <laughs> I am disappointed. Disappointed. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Oh, I'm mad. <laughs> I'm fit to be tired. 
the followers would find themselves stranded now in Jonestown as their passports had been confiscated and they had no way to return to the United States. You know what they call that? Kidnapping. Kidnapping. Yeah. <laughs> Kidnapping, 100%. Kidnapping with lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of extra steps. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, most kidnappers don't make pamphlets. This is true. Saying. I mean, I wonder if they would kidnap more people if they did. Like, they'd make it look good and be like, yeah, shit, I'll go with you. This looks awesome. Fuck you. Wait, why is there a van? Aw, fuck. Why is wasn't... Again. Now you got me thinking, though. I should do like a brochure that just starts with, so you've been kidnapped. Now what? <laughs> now what? Now what? <laughs> Those who had not cut ties with their families would find letters to home censored. Members were also encouraged to attend late night meetings where Jones would ramble for hours on end. Increasingly unstable and now addicted to drugs because that helps, right? You know, that makes that what makes else the voices quieter, guys. This sounds wonderful. Like, I would almost pay to see this. Just some rambling lunatic, just oh, well, there's bugs in my teeth, and they're all listening to us because <laughs> the government said so. And he just, <laughs> he just takes a minute and goes, ah. <sighs> Fucking bugs in the jungle, and they are listening. And the government said, <laughs> "I would almost pay to see that. Almost, almost. <laughs> I'd pay about tree pity. About tree pity." Jones was convinced that the U.S. government and others were out to get him. He required temple members to participate in mock suicide drills called White Nights, just in case. Oh, you know, just in, just case. in case. Why don't you pretend to kill yourself? <laughs> Honestly, at this point, I would just be like, you know what? What are the chances that I die swimming in the ocean versus staying here? Yeah, like, yeah tell me I'll about it. I'll take my chances trying to swim my ass back to the States at this point. <laughs> I'm going to go make friends with a shark. How like, many of a swim is that? It's, it, you die. Yeah, 100%. You die 100%. Yeah, no, I'm staying on the island. But yeah, like, he's actually legitimately afraid of the ocean. Keep that in mind, I ladies. Mean, but spoiler <laughs> alert, you're going to die anyway. Yeah go out on my own terms. Yeah. Eaten by a shark. No. <laughs> <laughs> that I thought was my bro. <laughs> I'd rather stay I thought we were cool. The following year, in 1978, a group of former temple members, as well as estranged relatives, brought their concerns about Jonestown and Jim Jones to Congressman Leo Ryan of California. They asked him to investigate the compound on their behalf, as they seemed to have no way of communicating with their missing loved ones and were fearing the worst. On November 17th, Ryan arrived in Jonestown with a group of journalists and others. At first, the visit seemed to go well, with little sign of discord or distress among the colony. You know, I guess he wasn't picking up on all the, you know, blinking Morse code signals that all they were sending going, Get me the fuck out of here. Get me the hell. Get me the like, hell. Like, yeah, he, oh. yes, yes. he apparently didn't speak Morse code, so... Um, but as the next day, as the delegation was set to leave, several Jonestown residents approached Ryan and his entourage and requested to leave with them. Jones, likely already deciding that his suspicions of being conspired against by the U.S. government were valid with the sudden appearance of a congressman, sure that didn't help, was also distressed by the defection of his followers. I'm just imagining, like, the scene in Get Out where the this, like, smiling, but they're crying. They're just kind of yeah, like... like... <laughs> No, it's great here. We love it. Take me with you. <laughs> Please don't leave without me. <laughs> One of Jones's lieutenants, no doubt under direct order of Jones himself, slashed at Congressman Ryan with a knife. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, things got a little got a little turned. Went from the zero to a hundred real fast. <laughs> That's a 
little more than turned. <laughs> he survived the attack and prepared to leave with several temple members. Jones then ordered the ambush of Ryan and his companions at the airstrip, where their charter planes waited. Leo Ryan and four others were murdered by Temple Faithful, shot down as they attempted to board their planes and depart. Back in Jonestown, Jones ordered his Faithful to gather in the main pavilion for one final revolutionary act. The mock suicide drills would now become a stark and horrifying reality as a poison concoction was mixed using flavor aid, sedatives, and cyanide. Sadly, the children would be the first to die, as parents and nurses used syringes to force-feed the youngest the toxic brew. The intent behind the mixture was to make it palatable, and for the sedatives to act quickly, putting the victims mercifully to sleep before the cyanide killed them. That was not how things played out. Of course not, because... why would it be if we were talking yeah, about it? Why would it be? And then they peacefully went to sleep. No. Spoiler alert. They didn't. They didn't. And it was awful. <laughs> Yeah, the mixture and the dosing was imprecise at best, and most of the children died horrible, painful deaths. The adults were then ordered to drink while armed guards surrounded the pavilion. Many refused to take it, seeing what had happened to others, and instead were shot. Jones himself opted out of such a painful death. Pussy. The one, yes. <laughs> Big fucking pussy. The very one that he had subjected hundreds of his followers to, he said, nah. He was like, nah, fam, I'm out. <laughs> nah, I'm a big pussy. <laughs> well, it's like Hitler and Ava. Yeah. Ah, oh, good point. <laughs> you didn't take it. You didn't take it either. You want yeah. me to kill myself, and you're not going to. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> he ordered one of his lieutenants to shoot him in the head. A recording eerily captured the last moments of Jonestown. Sakes, let's get on with it. We've lived, we've lived as no other people have lived and loved. We've had as much of this world as you're going to get. Let's just be done with it. Let's be done with the agony of it. It's far, far harder to have to watch you every day die slowly. And from the time you were a child to the time you get gray, you're dying. It's honest, and I'm sure that they'll they'll pay for it. They'll, they'll pay for it. This is a revolutionary suicide. This is not a self-destructive suicide. So they'll pay for this. They brought this upon us, and they'll pay for that. I leave that destiny to them. Who wants to go with their child has a right to go with their child. I think it's humane. I want to go, I want to see you go, though. I, they can take me and do with me whatever they want to do. I want to see you go. I don't want to see you go through this hell no more. When officials arrived at the compound the next day, they found it carpeted with bodies, 909 in total. A third of those who perished were children. Jones was found dead near his deck chair beneath a sign with a quote from George Santayana. Quote, those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it very eerie eerie words yeah that's like almost a warning and what's really <laughs> eerie when you listen it's about 40 minutes of tape um that was recorded at the very end and the music that's actually playing over sections of this section is from the end of that tape um there's par portions of the tape where you can hear nothing but people screaming in the background mm -hmm. um as he's trying to talk over them and trying to calm them down from you know dying 
painfully from cyanide. Parents, control your children. Yeah, that's not how that works, bitch. Like, you don't just talk somebody off of the ledge of pain from their insides being eaten out by fucking poison. Like, no. No. Yeah. There's it, So it's a very disturbing tape to listen to, but the creepiest part about it is towards the end of the tape when either he has already been shot or he has out of range of the, uh, the recorder... There are no more voices. The tape gets eerily quiet, and all you hear at the end is the music that was playing over that was supposed to calm everybody down. And you can tell by then everyone is dead. Like, there is no more crying. There is no more screaming. It's just eerily silent and warped music playing. Right, and there is nothing calming about that music anymore when you take it into consideration. Absolutely nothing. That makes my chest feel heavy. I don't like it. Yeah, Yeah, it was, it's, it's very disturbing. So you're welcome, Spooky Nation. (laughs) You're welcome. That music has been sampled for this episode. (laughs) Do not send us letters. (laughs) We'll send you one back that says you have been warned. You have been warned. (laughs) So now that we've outlined how typical cults work, we each looked into individual cults in our continual efforts to, in the words of The Simpsons, quote, educate as well as horrify. It's it's accurate. It is accurate. Yeah. (laughs) So prepare to have some hot spoonfuls of knowledge ladled directly into your brain, Spooky Nation. That sounded vaguely threatening. And Ow, I it burns. every word. <laughs> Ow, it burns. <laughs> Let's get started. There was an art to the branding. Precise. It was supposed to be exactly seven strokes. One line across, then two diagonal ones to form the sideways K, followed by four smaller lines to form the sideways R beneath. The women to be branded were supposed to be naked and held down on a table, restrained by their wrists and ankles, legs spread, vulnerable, and exposed. They were to be videotaped. But most important were the words, the litany spoken by those submitted to such a humiliating ritual. The words that would show that they hadn't been forced or coerced. Quote, please brand me. It would be an honor, an honor I want to wear for the rest of my life. Unquote. No. No. (laughs) Just no. no. Aside from the incidental detail about the videotaping, you might think that I was describing some kind of dark cultish rite from antiquity. But no, I'm not. These rituals occurred as recently as 2016. And usually in the posh, expensive mansion of a Tinseltown A-lister. But how did a once categorized, quote, personal development company end up here, a group that would be described in varying court documents as a, quote, sex cult? To answer that question, we have to go back and take a look at the man at the center of the sex trafficking and pyramid scheme maze, whose initials were etched into living, screaming flesh. Keith Raniere. Ugh. Just the name. Yeah, Keith. Keith. (laughs) Any Keiths out there, I'm sorry. (laughs) My cousin's name is Keith. Oh, sorry, cousin Keith. <laughs> I'm not. For you. I'm not sorry. I stand by my statement. I specifically mean this guy, though. Like this gets nutters. It, a bug fuck nutters. Bug you might fuck say. nutters. You might say. <laughs> Rainier, a self-described quote child prodigy turned guru, founded Nexium in 1998 with former registered nurse Nancy Salzman. Nexium would be established as a, quote, personal development company that would offer executive success programs, or ESPs, that were a pastiche of the quick-fix pop culture self-improvement that was so pervasive at the time. Little more than a variety of self-help programs, religious ideology, and hypnotism techniques that would be offered in grueling 12-hour courses over 16 consecutive days for $7,500 a pop. 
Ranieri claimed the following in a series of YouTube video interviews. Our main emphasis, our main belief is to have people experience more joy in their lives. And from that, all sorts of interesting effects appear to happen. I don't know about you, but I'd be much more joyful keeping my $7,500. <laughs> I think I would be too. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I think maybe I'd rather keep my money, but I'm not entirely sure. This is like, this was a expensive, these were expensive courses, and like, for 16 days, like, uh-huh. you were brainwashed, basically. Shit, I got that shit for free. Like, <laughs> it, and honestly, like, they were what, from what other people had said about it, was, you, they kind of went into it, obviously, as skeptics uh-huh. at first, like, hmm, this isn't going to work. What does this thing actually do? But then the way the classes were, were designed and the way the conditioning was done, it was like you were broken down by like day three or day four. And then you were, wow. in, you were in it. Wow. And then I'm sure like word spread probably like, oh shit, like this is some crazy shit. Like, oh, it's not going to do that to me. And then, Well, then they had <laughs> people were, I guess... You know, the change of behavior and things like that. And people were going like, oh, well, I've seen this, you know, miraculous change in you or whatever. And and Mm -hmm. I want to do what you're doing. And it just ended up bringing more people in. So, I mean, it's just how these things kind of work. Right. One of the... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's simple. When people in L.A. go, hey, you want to come to this thing with me? I'm just going to say no. Yeah. (laughs) Just just on a safe bet, just go... This I'm good. Manson. Like there's just so many reasons to just yeah. go, nah, I'm No, nah. thank you. I'm more of a couch person, thanks. Hard hard pass, y'all. Hard pass. Um, I was just gonna say one of the main people that has been speaking out about it, um, Sarah Edmondson, she even said that like the only reason she initially did it was because she wanted to get more acting roles. Mm, She just wasn't, she's an actor, wasn't getting a lot of work. And this class promised, you know, we're going to get you to be more charismatic and bring money into your life and things like that. They basically (laughs) promised all the things that, you know, on a silver platter that you want. Uh, And any problem that you've ever had in your life, any, like, long-term problems, psychological, emotional, whatever, take this course, it's gone. Is your dick too tiny? Take this course. (laughs) I mean, they might have used that, too. I don't know. (laughs) Because a lot of what they were doing was, um, and you probably talk about it later on, where they make a lot of things your fault. Mm -hmm. And so, like, if you don't, do well like if you're not achieving your goals then what are you doing wrong yeah what where did you fuck up very scientology in that yeah and And we all know that that is gaslighting and so is the money yeah portion of it too is very similar and that's what i was seeing a lot of parallels in that with scientology where to get higher in the church you pay more money yeah also not doing anything anyone asked me to do in florida Alligators are involved, and no, good. <laughs> or tigers, or tigers, or tigers, <laughs> or lions, or bears, or oh, oh my, oh my, oh my. <laughs> Not saying a certain woman fed her husband to the tigers, but that, that bitch. fucking bitch. Now, hold, if I can beat Godzilla, <laughs> though, that one I might do. Next year, might make you Godzilla. That fucking bitch, Carol Baskin. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't naming names, so we don't get sued. It was already on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, she, bitch. she she's bitchy enough that I think she would try to sue. That's good exposure. Oh, good. Come at me, bitch. What are you going to do? Feed me to a tiger, too? Sue me for what? I am, like, beyond broke. What <laughs> will you take from me? 
Nothing. What can you take from me that life already hasn't? <laughs> cats. <laughs> or cats. At least I still have my personality. The gang's all here. <laughs> it was no coincidence that the classes were offered at such a premium. Ranieri had settled on a target demographic for his peddled panacea, the rich and the dissatisfied. By 2003, some 3,700 people had taken part in the ESP courses, reportedly including such influential people as Sheila Johnson, co-founder of BET, Surgeon General Antonia Novello, Anna Christina Fox, daughter of Mexican President Vincente Fox, and Enron executive Stephen Cooper. With so many people flocking to take the courses that they claimed were bringing change in their lives, it was no wonder Nexium thrived. Nexium's training process was a trade secret, well guarded behind miles of legal mumbo jumbo and non-disclosure agreements. No one was supposed to discuss what occurred during these long and intensive workshops under penalty of lawsuit. All that was really said about it in some vagary on the website and by other, you know, higher ups in the in the group was that it was a quote rational inquiry to facilitate personal and professional development. That's Bullshit. Vague. <laughs> Bullshit Shit. and vague. Analysis of some of the excerpts from its manual by occult investigator Rick Allen Ross would deem the material, quote, expensive brainwashing. He was Accurate. sued for that, by the way. Wow. And they weren't happy, apparently, that their manuals like were leaked and he had gotten copies of them. So they were pretty pissed about that. I'm sure, but it's like, was he wrong? Yeah, he's not wrong. He's not wrong <laughs> he's at all. Wrong. It's like, you can't sue him for slander. Yeah, wrong, but he's not inaccurate. Mm-mm. During these workshops, Ranieri was to be addressed as Vanguard and Salzman as Prefect. The reasoning for the titles within the organization was that Ranieri was the Buddha figure, the founder of a philosophical movement, and Salzman was his first student. Now, with him being the Buddha figure, does that mean I had to put dollars on his belly? Uh... I wouldn't touch him, <laughs> to be honest. Ten foot you have to put 7,500 of them. <laughs> yeah, in a belt <laughs> around <laughs> him. <laughs> no like, singles. Like a hula skirt. <laughs> oh, why can I see that? I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like this image anymore. When you've seen pictures of this man, go ahead and picture that hula skirt. You go ahead. You I go have, ahead and do that. I have images in my brain and I don't want them. Can you take them back, please? Nope. No. <laughs> no, re- no receipt, no return, bitch. Oh, God, I don't like this. <laughs> The Hollywood Reporter would later state that Ranieri, in fact, got the title Vanguard from a favorite arcade game in which the goal was to destroy one's enemies to increase your own power. Apt. Creepy. Most video games. (laughs) Most video games, yeah. But very creepy. I just love, he's a child prodigy, but he gets his name from a video video game. game. Yeah, really. I mean, I think there was a lot of things that were said about him during the various things I watched and the various things I read. Were, there were all these like ex- extensive claims basically made about him to build him up in the eyes of the people that were supposed to you know follow him and take these courses that he was a child prodigy who was speaking in full sentences at age one that his iq was like 200 i was speaking at full sentences at age one they weren't they were gibberish but they were full sentences oh yeah you knew what you were trying to say just that he was like some sort of national judo champion to which i all said Bullshit. Bullshit. Show me the receipts, bitch. Like, no. This is like the things that guys say to pick up That's women what at I, bars. Very know, much like, so. Very much. This like read a like a machine and I, I satisfy 20 women a night and, you know, this you're very just much sounded nice, like lady. a really bad Tinder profile to me. Yeah. There you go. Like 100%. 
Like, yeah. The things that guys say to like, well, I could bench press like 300 pounds. And then I also, you know, volunteer at soup kitchens and I hug puppies all day long. Like, bitch, no, right. the fuck you don't. Get the fuck out. You lying sack of shit. It's like the song by Dropkick Murphy's Kiss Me, I'm Shit-Faced. That whole song is this guy's <laughs> life right now. Pretty much. Ah, <laughs> uh, who am I kidding? I'm a nobody. But, you know, again, it's to make him seem so much more important and so much on a higher level than he actually was. Because right. that's part of the game. It's the running theme with cult leaders. Oh, yeah. That's, they I have know. to be up here so everyone else can be down here. <laughs> For know. all of our listeners, spot the theme. Yeah, spot... <laughs> Spot the theme. Spot the commonality. In traditional pyramid scheme or MLM fashion, that's multi-level marketing for those of you not on the inside track. (laughs) (laughs) Breaking that slang down for you. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. There were many smaller companies under the larger Nexium umbrella that offered varying classes. The Source, a workshop for actors led by Smallville actress and Rhaenyra faithful Allison Mack, Delegates, an off-model TaskRabbit startup that was staffed by mostly younger female members, and Janess, a female empowerment group whose, according to an article by Rolling Stone, quote, Facebook wall features Martin Luther King Jr. quotes juxtaposed against a pastel pink palette. I feel worse already. I, I don't like that. Then TaskRabbit, for those that don't know, it's kind of like an Angie's List or like a Craigslist, not Craigslist, but like an Angie's List or sort of thing where if you have something that needs done, you could like put it on this website and someone people, will, someone will t- like gotcha, pick gotcha. up the task or whatever. And like, right. like, oh, I can do that. Or, oh, I, you know, and then you pay them a little bit of money. So, but it was just Clever weird. Name. That, well, I think it's, it's just weird that it was all women. Like all of this has so far been very female centric, which mm-hmm. I guess when you have women in charge which i think was strategic on his part right to put women in charge of these different um subgroups that it made other women feel comfortable like that makes them feel it's a comfortable atmosphere because it's like oh like there's a whole bunch of other women here it's run by a woman right i I totally feel like this is a safe space oh yeah that's going back to our uh uh female serial killer episode Mm -hmm. you know like people fell for it because they were women. You know, Carla was in the car saying, hey, I need directions. Yeah, and they were like, oh, well, a woman's not going to try to assault another woman. Spoiler alert. That's exactly... Sister woke up already. Yeah. (laughs) We gonna get there in a second. (laughs) Sister got branded already. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) The most important of these smaller companies that offer training courses and empowerment would be The Source, where Mac would recruit many other actresses or famous Hollywood stars to take part. They had also donated a lot of money to political causes and political um, candidates and things like that mm-hmm. to kind of try to try and sway people of influence to to join their their thing. Most of these multi-level marketing schemes are harmless. You likely know somebody involved in one yourself. doTERRA oils, pampered chef cookware, Mary Kay. All of these businesses hinge on the same basic structure. Recruit more people to sell the product or idea and you'll make yourself a tidy profit. Well, in reality, you may make little to no profit, but the people above you get a lion's share. And mm-hmm. that's how a pyramid scheme works. Yeah, exactly. Because it's a pyramid shape. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking triangles. <laughs> Fucking yeah. para- They don't call it a parallelogram scheme. <laughs> And that seemed to be true for Nexium as well. But we wouldn't be here if that's where it ended. Fleecing rich people out of money just so they could sleep better at night. No. There was a darker and much more secret side that one may well argue was Rhaenyra's intention all along. This was a secret internal group inside Nexium known as DOS, or the Vow. 
Allison Mack, as well as other high-ranking loyal female members of Nexium, were instructed to induct and recruit other women to be, quote, slaves to Rhaenyra. These women served as the masters of others, while Rhaenyra sat in charge of all as grandmaster. The women that were recruited into this inner circle recounted during Rhaenyra's trial that they were forced to hand over collateral upon joining as an insurance policy to ensure that they would ultimately not be able to leave the group for fear of this sensitive material being leaked to the press. After all, Doss stood for Dominus Obsequious Sororum, or Master Over Slave Women, for a reason. This is all just Yeah, this not... is going down a dark road, y'all. Yeah, this is not <laughs> palatable at all. <laughs> like, like, hope you buckled in, because this ride's going to be bumpy. Which sucks. I love Smallville. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't make the show bad. It doesn't no, make the rest of the people on the show bad. Absolutely not. The show is incredible. And, okay. Superman makes it bad. <laughs> yeah, Superman makes it bad. No, I, I want the same treatment for uh, Spider-Man, actually. Like, a villain of the week. Mm-hmm. You know, Peter Parker in high school, and it's just like an actual show, not a fucking movie again. I don't need a goddamn movie again. I want a Smallville-esque Spider-Man show. Yeah. But anyways, back to cults. (laughs) But back to cults. (laughs) Sarah Edmondson, a Canadian actress who was a friend of Mac and had recruited many others on her own, outlined the idea of collateral in an A&E program about cults and cult survivors. She said at first that it was innocuous things, like paying a financial penalty or fee for not going to the gym on a day that you said you were going to go. These initial penalties exacted by the masters of the group were likely used to acclimate victims, so nothing really severe, just kind of like minor little slaps on the wrist. Right, like, oh, this is about as bad as it's going to be. Right. So I can handle this. I should stay. Right. Eventually, the requests would escalate. They would be told to send nude photos or videos of themselves masturbating or postmarked false confessions stating that they had been sexually abused by family members or loved ones. According to court transcripts, the DOS women were also instructed to text their masters close-up photos of their shaved genitals, but to always keep their faces in the shot in case such a compromising photo ever needed to be used for extortion, which makes me wonder how contortionistic were these women that they could take a close-up of their genitals but keep their face in the shot. Right, and how many of them were smiling? What kind of of pretzel-ass maneuver are they asking people to do here? The only thing I could think of is if you're like like from the from the pointed, bottom from the bottom yeah, yeah. Like and like phone take the up. photo with your toe yes, <laughs> yes. you have to <laughs> the camera you. shutter with your foot they uh, were told that it's just creepy no it's not a flattering angle either well that too but like yeah i was like what kind of when i read that i was like what kind of fucking twister ass maneuver are what they asking to do, to do? Here, i don't do just... yoga fuck off <laughs> Let me just put my leg up here. Yeah, not that bendy, bitch. No. What do I look like? Goddamn Gumby? (laughs) (laughs) They were told to stick to low-calorie diets and to respond immediately to any, quote, readiness drill texts from their masters, even the middle of the night, or risk being paddled as punishment. You heard me right. Paddled. Like they're five. Yeah, like yeah. they're five. Oh, that, that's a paddling. <laughs> I wasn't take paddled, a, so. You didn't take a picture of uh, of your genitals with your face that's in it? That's a paddling. That's a paddling. <laughs> you didn't respond to a text at 2.30 a.m.? That's, that's a paddling. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Jeez. They were also to abstain from any sexual activity with anyone but Rhaenyra himself. Ugh, and if you've seen pictures of this man, that is not a bonus. No. No. Ugh. No. He looks like he looks like dollar store Steve Jobs. 
<laughs> like if you got Steve Jobs off of Wish.com, that's what this man looks like. Wish.com Steve Jobs. Yeah, it's not cute. <laughs> it is not adorable any it at all. No. Steve Jobs himself didn't even shower. So like that's not a very Ew. good No, he didn't. He believed that what you eat should supposedly. Yeah, supposedly. Supposedly. This is all supposed. He believed what you eat should dictate if you should shower or not. Like if you ate cleanly enough, you were clean. Supposedly. Uh, no. Okay. no. Crazy. <laughs> That's not how biology works. That's, That's not, not how bacteria works, Steve. Sorry. Mr. Jobs, no. <laughs> no. Even cave people washed. I mean. Not well, yeah, but they like, washed. I mean, not well. They took a little sits. Yeah. <laughs> they went in the water and they got out. They went and soaked their ooga booga for 10 minutes and then they were fine. <laughs> and then they went and did the confused unga bunga. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's how this goes. So in some sort of twisted mirroring of Fifty Shades of Grey, the women also spoke about how they were instructed to purchase BDSM sex toys that were going to be part of a dungeon which was intended to be built in the basement of DOS headquarters. Normal. Normal thing, you know, just normal stuff. Just really things. Personal growth yeah. group. Personal growth workshop. BDSM sex toys. Hmm. Spot the parallels. <laughs> While not all the women were branded, it was recounted as an excruciating part of the initiation experience. Ranieri's interest in sadomasochism and bondage was reputedly just as derivative as his self-help instruction courses at Nexium, none of which operate on any new material, but simply rehashes and recycle talking points and techniques gleaned from other self-improvement philosophies. Tony Natalie, a former girlfriend of Ranieri in the 90s and an early whistleblower of Nexium, claimed he never had any interest in BDSM when they dated, but the popularity of Fifty Shades, mostly among women, coincidentally, inspired his sudden interest, or at least using the language of the consensual kink community to further exploit women to his desires. Natalie was unimpressed. Quote, like I've always said, that man is not capable of having an original thought. Unquote. I have big problems with the Fifty Shades of Grey series. So, so big, do I. So do big I. Big problems. Same. And it's because I think it's very dangerous. It is very dangerous. If you sit and read it, it's like, no, he's abusing you, honey. He's not a dom. He's an asshole. He's not a dom. He's an asshole. <laughs> yeah. And you would know this if you did just an ounce, just an ounce of research. You know, outside who's of... who's going to do that? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> outside of Wikipedia. Ugh. I just... I have big problems with the Fifty Shades of Grey series, and I am not shy about it at all. E.L. James looks like John Travolta in Hairspray. That's yeah, not a cute look. Fight me. That's <laughs> not a cute look. <laughs> to this day, that remains one of my most underrated jokes that I've that, ever made. People just kind of stared at me. That and it's just... it. It's not only the many sins of the content of it, it's really piss poorly written. Yeah. yeah. There could, you could forgive a lot of shit... If something's well-written, it's not even well-written. No. It reads like really bad internet fan fiction, which it exactly is what it was. So here we are. That is exactly what that was. <laughs> my inner goddess hates this shit. It was twi- it was <laughs> Twilight fan fiction. My inner goddess tells you to fuck off, E.L. James. <laughs> my inner goddess wants to murder everybody. <laughs> that or would be the- a much better series. Don't even get started on Grey with the whole, my cock agreed, my cock did this. Yeah. Excuse yes. Me? Yeah, apparently his, cock his was another character. Apparently his dick is a character in the book. So she got an inner goddess and he got a cock. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. Did his cock do the merengue with some salsa moves? Or did Would he stick it say- in salsa? And that was a whole other thing. <laughs> stick my dick in the Would mashed you potatoes. say that he got shafted? I would say uh, that. I would uh, say it. I uh, might say that. 
I might. <laughs> but I'm just happy to have this to back up my hatred. Yeah. I was very, yeah. very against this series when it came out. And you know what? I, so I'm just going to peacock my feathers a little bit right. and go, I was right. As you can see... Yep. Do, does the more harm than, does more harm than good. Yeah. Do some research and I don't know, maybe read, if you're into that sort of thing, maybe read the Sleeping Beauty series. Yeah, by that's Anne a much Rice. better series. Go do that. Honestly. I'm going to go read Green Eggs and Ham. I'm tired of this. <laughs> <laughs> There's no sex in that one. There's not. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Details about Doss began to emerge in 2017 and began the ultimate downfall of Rhaenyra and Nexium. He was arrested in 2018 in Mexico for charges relating to sex trafficking, conspiracy to commit sex trafficking, and conspiracy to commit forced labor. He pleaded not guilty to these charges. Mac was also arrested and held under similar charges and $5 million bond. Both Rhaenyra and Mac face a minimum of 15 years to life in prison. Other leading members of Nexium were charged with racketeering and criminal conspiracy. All of them pleaded guilty. On June 19th, 2019, Rhaenyra was found guilty of racketeering and sex trafficking. In January 2020, a federal lawsuit was filed against Rhaenyra and 14 of his associates for conducting, quote, illegal psychological experiments. This relates back to an incident that some former members uh, recounted while they were at Nexium as they were hooked up to an EEG machine by a doctor and they were shown graphic videos of people being like murdered, like uncensored, basically snuff films mm-hmm. of Ugh. people being murdered, uh, women being beheaded by cartels and the engaging their responses. Right. Oh God. They would love Fuck me. That noise. Just sit there. Uh-huh. And what's funny because uh-huh. they kind of said the one of the men that was part of the group who actually recruited Sarah Edmondson said that he had stumbled across or somehow come across this video of these four women being de- decapitated by a cartel in like Colombia or like how do you just stumble across I, that I don't know like, like oh I just happened there's to... some weird shit I mean I don't know how people get these their hands on these things but these things of, of course they bubble up from the dark web sometimes and yeah, then they get passed absolutely. around so he had this video and he said he I guess he told Rhaenyra about the video and Rhaenyra goes I want to see it he goes well I don't want to show it to you it's really graphic and really disturbing it's like because these women are like killed on camera yeah and he goes finally he like badgered me into showing it or you know into showing him the video and he goes "I, I go okay and I show him the video And he basically had, like, no reaction and was kind of, like, and started, like, analyzing the video of going, like, well, I wonder what this guy is thinking. And what's this younger one who's having trouble holding the machete thinking? And, like, decided to, like, psychoanalyze, like, it was so, it was, like, I was, like, if that wasn't a red flag that this man was a fucking sociopath, then I don't know what more needed to happen here. No, that's. Okay, that goes beyond me levels of crazy. The where, moment like, he I... badgers you to yeah. see a video yeah. of women being decapitated. Yeah. Come on, show me the video. Show me the video. I want to see that bitch get her head chopped off. I'll be your best friend. Please. Make I, your brownies. I don't know much about the case. I just I remember being in the news because of Allison Mack. Mm-hmm. Um, how is it that she's not being considered brainwashed? And how is it she's being considered, uh, like, the how is it they're sentencing her for stuff and blaming her for she, stuff for something he started she was a leader her. um she ended up basically kind of being his second in command um during this whole this whole thing and she was the one it was her house that they were doing the brandings at yeah and she would assist other women in holding these women down and getting branded and stuff like that so she was very complicit in 
a lot of the darker she was one of the masters in the in this sex group so she was the one that was getting these texts from these women that was doling out punishments that was telling them to have sex with Rhaenyra like so she got if she had just stayed on the side of like hey this is just a fraudulent you know snake oil salesman fucking self-improvement course then I'm sure she'd have been you know not would have not been you know I'm just curious she's legally responsible yeah and you never heard she would never worked again but like you would she would not be going to jail. Right. But the reason she's going to jail is because she got, like, I mean, she just deep dove hard into this, like, the DOS side of it. Man. Gotcha. I was wondering, because, like, with all the brainwashing and whatnot, I didn't know if she was brainwashed to do it, if she chose oh, to I'm do sure it. Oh, I'm sure she was brainwashed to do it, but, like, yeah. that's not a legal defense. Chloe I mean, insanity. Up. Yeah, not really, uh, because you know what you're doing is wrong. If you know right from wrong, yeah, you, you can't, can't claim, claim insanity. insanity. But if you're being mentally damaged to that point, is what I'm saying. Like, brainwashing isn't just going... Hey, do this, and you're going okay. They do a lot more to you. That's. I, I was just curious. That was all. I mean, she, I'm not saying she didn't do this yeah. stuff and doesn't go to job. I was just trying to understand. She, it. yeah, she drank the Kool Aid hard, as it were. Oh, well, yeah. on what's this one. interesting is that, like, because you brought up she's going to jail. Nancy Salzman is not going to jail. She, they. She was one of the ones that pleaded um, guilty to racketeering. Yeah. Mm. So she's not going to, and she's now basically, at least as of. When I was listening to all these different yeah. documentaries, she wasn't going to jail. Yeah. Um, and now Nexium is basically in her control. Yeah. And she was also one of the masters who was... She was uh, Sarah Edmondson's master. Yeah. And basically made her do the branding. Yeah. Yeah. Yeesh. I mean, like I said, Chloe done fucked up. <laughs> Ultimately. So they're being sued for the psychological experiments as well as uh, other psychological, financial, and emotional abuse. The ultimate question left in the wake of such exploitation leaves one to wonder where in Rhaenyra's manipulation and misogyny did women see enlightenment? What was it about Keith Rhaenyra that made women trust and idolize him? And what would many of the survivors say to him now that his spell and control of them is broken? Sarah Edmondson perhaps said it best. I would say that he messed with the wrong person. And then he, for such a brilliant man, made a big mistake. Another question. Is the spell broke on all of them? There I mean, might still be still... people out there that don't there, think he... Well, and there are still people that are involved in Nexium as well. That's... I mean, mm-hmm. look at Manson. He still had yeah. followers to the day to... he died. Yeah. Some that weren't even born at the time yeah. that he was like, yeah. doing most of the shit. So it, it really makes you think. It does. On that note, let's take a brief break to hear from our sponsor. Well, I guess technically not a sponsor, so much as our own store. Yay! (laughs) Because if you didn't know, we have our own merch store. And it's awesome! We have some new exclusive merch on our store at Zazzle.com. We even have a brand new design that is exclusive to this very episode. The Bugfuck Nutters... (laughs) <laughs> just saying it makes me laugh i know bug fuck nutters <laughs> the bug fuck nutters cloth face mask which is available now for all of your covid19 protection needs yes. exactly because right now 2020 is bug fuck nutters it really is it truly is there is there is no better way to sum up 2020 so far than bug fuck nutters i agree it it fits very very well <laughs> just like this mask will fit on you on your face yes <laughs> We also have a few other cloth mask designs as well, so check them out and get stocked up. That's this spooky show at zazzle.com. And now, back to our show. Ah, uh, Osho. 
Many know him from his books in the New Age section of any bookstore. He's known for such classics as Awareness, The Key to Living in a Cult, <laughs> Joy, The Happiness That Comes from Hyperventilation and Banshee Screams. <laughs> I, did, I did the foreword on that. <laughs> and Being in Love, How to Love Your Girl, Jesse's Girl, and Any Girl, Because Free Love. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> But it was a long time before Bhagwan Rajneesh became Osho. So let's start at the beginning. Born Chandra Mohan Jain, Rajneesh was born in December of 1931 and was the eldest of 11 children. He lived with his maternal grandparents until he was seven years old, during which time he abided no one. His grandmother gave him complete freedom without forced education or restrictions. When Rajneesh was seven years old, his grandfather passed away, leading the young boy to move back home to be with his parents. Later, when he was 15, Rajneesh's childhood girlfriend and cousin... No. <laughs> no. he's from Alabama? <laughs> Alabama, India. Yes. <laughs> childhood girlfriend and cousin. No. <laughs> no. no. Uh, her name was Shashi. Shashi? Yes. Uh-huh. And she passed away from typhoid. That sucks. Yeah. So her death, coupled with the death of his grandfather eight years earlier, led to his preoccupation with death at a very young age. He was a rebellious student, but was known to be very smart and was considered to be a strong debater. He was a critic of traditional religions and became focused on ways to expand consciousness, including breath control yogic exercises, meditation, fasting, the occult, and hypnosis. I'm a terrible person. You know. <laughs> you said was considered to be a strong debater, and immediately I went, well, yeah, his girlfriend's dead. I love that you made that <laughs> joke, because in my head, when I was writing my notes, I was thinking of, like, make a masturbation joke. <laughs> it's a masturbation joke here. <laughs> <laughs> Same wavelength. I'm glad. I gotcha. It's cool. <laughs> So at 19, he enrolled in Hitakarini, that's a mouthful, Hitakarini College, (laughs) but was asked to leave due to conflicts with a professor. He transferred to another university, and it wasn't long before the administrator said, you know what, just show up for your exams. (laughs) We We don't don't like you here. (laughs) We don't want to see you. (laughs) The issue is he's going around telling everybody about his cousin girlfriend. Yeah. My cousin friend. They were like, like, you know what? Just stay home. It's okay. (laughs) It's fine. So with all of his newfound free time, he began working as an assistant editor for a local newspaper and began his path as a public speaker. He claims that he became enlightened, quote, in a mystical experience while sitting under a tree in Bonvartal Garden in Jabalpur. So very much similar to the Buddha story. Somebody has Buddha envy. Oh, definitely. Also, I'm glad that you're doing this section because I'd be like, in the Blethethra garden, in Blethethra. <laughs> listen. Listen. Um, that happened on March 21st, 1953. He even knew the date. <laughs> probably I mean, even knew the time. That probably the exact alive. moment. <laughs> right at 11.52. In 55 seconds. <laughs> down down to, the, to the second. And here's where the sun was aligned. And, and enlightenment <laughs> happened. 
Then, after becoming enlightened and completing his BA in philosophy, he earned his master's and secured a teaching job at Raipur Sanskrit College. However, the vice chancellor soon asked him to transfer as he considered Rajneesh to be a danger to, quote, his students' morality, character, and religion. That is a goal that I would strive to as a professor. <laughs> to be, to a be asked to leave because I'm a danger to morality and religion. Yes, please. I was going to say, like, so far, this is great. (laughs) Like, this is goals. Also, he's probably one of the most successful people to ever have a philosophy major. This is very true. That's very true. Also, shots fired. (laughs) So far, he's doing better than 90% of other people I know that are philosophy majors. I mean, shit, if you made something of that, so far, goddamn. More power to you. 90%'s a lowball. (laughs) Yeah. I'm being nice. Since (laughs) when? That's true. It is true. Since (laughs) when? Stop Stop it. Stop. Oh my god. Are we going to kiss right now? Peppa. Peppa. Why'd you Rajneesh? Why did you get asked to leave the school? (laughs) Why were you enlightened at this time at this hour? Helium. (laughs) So he transferred to Jalpur University and quickly became a popular lecturer. He traveled throughout India as Archarya. Archarya? That looks right. That looks right to me. I'm going to butcher it because, you know. Archarya? 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 I like the way you say it. Yeah. Archarya. We mean no offense. It's just not our language. It's true. And I mispronounce everything, so. (laughs) I mean, she can't get toast right. (laughs) I smell toast. Wait, oh no. Wait, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, he... Traveled throughout India and delivered lectures that were critical of socialism, Gandhi, and institutional religions. He's the one person <laughs> that I have ever, well, yeah, because even Jim Jones liked Gandhi. Yeah, Jim Jones so did he's like, like Gandhi. the one person that I've ever heard not like Gandhi, but he really hated Gandhi. Oh. Well, he did have that whole thing with the whole penicillin, let his wife die thing. I was just about to bring that up. I am not a. I'm not a fan. <laughs> so, hi, my name is Lauren. I'm not a fan. He did cruddy things. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of, bad. like, for the country, he yeah. did a lot of great things. Absolutely. I will 100% agree with that. It was just the the penicillin thing. Yeah. He refused to let his dying wife take medicine, but took penicillin to save himself. That's... And if that's why he hated Gandhi, I'd understand. But no. Yeah. But it no. wasn't that. But let's see where this becomes bugfuck nutters. Yes. <laughs> Was it his glasses? Did his glasses piss him off? He actually did not have glasses. No, I meant Gandhi. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he believed that socialism would promote poverty and said Gandhi was, quote, a masochist re- reactionary who worshipped poverty. Well, I wouldn't go that I wouldn't that go that far. far. No. Yeah, I was like, shots fired. Jesus. Ouch. He believed India needed to, quote, escape its backwardness with capitalism, science, modern technology, and birth control. You don't have to take it from me. Let's listen to what he said in his own words. All communes in the past have died because of this stupid idea that you should not create wealth. Now, 1,500 sannyasins are working in the commune. They need clothes. They need medicine. They need everything. This commune is going to live. And the only way for it to live is to be rich. 
His criticisms of the Orthodox religions made him very popular with merchants and businessmen who would seek spiritual consultation in exchange for donations. In 1962, he began to lead three- to ten-day meditation camps, and the first meditation centers emerged around his teachings, which were then called the Life Awakening Movement. In 1968, he held several lectures, which were later published as a book titled From Sex to Superconsciousness, wherein he scandalized Hindu leaders by calling for freer acceptance of sex, and thus named the Sex Guru by the press. And here's what he had to say about sex and sexual awakening. He was a fan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sex is good. That was the quote. You should have more of it. <laughs> Essentially. Me at lookout point. In front of me. While I watch. <laughs> <laughs> Open the window. <laughs> I can't see. <laughs> Hand me that jar of Vaseline in a wash rack. No! <laughs> Fine, just hand me the thing of popcorn. <laughs> I wasn't going to go in dry. I was going to be polite. <laughs> now, there are two ways. Either repress sex as it has been done by all the so-called religious traditions of the world, or transforming. I am for transformation. Hence, I teach my sannyasins to be creative, create music, Create poetry, create painting, create pottery, create something. Whatsoever you do, do it with great creativeness. Bring something new into existence and your sex will be fulfilled on a higher plane. In 1970, he introduced his dynamic breathing technique for the first time. It is also known as the, oh my god, I'm a hyperventilating chicken breathing what's that sound like it's actually quite funny <laughs> I'm, I, I imagine a hyperventilating chicken is being very funny uh sneezing so, chickens are yes, hilarious I say a, a, a sneezing chicken fucking hilarious if so hyperventilating oh my god if y'all haven't heard a sneezing chicken please look it yes, up it is the best thing i've ever seen fuck the sneezing chicken go find the rooster wearing pants oh that too <laughs> i told my mom about the rooster wearing pants and she lost her shit she goes they put pants on him and i was like yeah because they don't want him fucking the chickens and exactly. she's like they put pants on him she just thought that was the funniest thing ever look at him wearing his little drawers <laughs> He got jeans on. <laughs> when I first saw that, I asked my friend James. He's like, oh yeah, it's a normal thing because he grew up on farms and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so are they pants made for the chicken or do they go and like buy kids pants? He goes, the pants they put on the chicken. I'm like, you're, you're not answering yeah, my that's question. That's the answer to my Same. question. I know, it's a chicken wearing pants. I get it. But I need to know. Did you take the chicken's measurements or not? Yeah. <laughs> did you measure the chicken's inseam for these pants is what I want to know. Or did you just go to the toddler section of Walmart? <laughs> Pick up a pair of pants, rustle like a, a chicken to the, down to the ground. This sounds, this sounds like a bad joke, though. It's like, instead of like, why did the chicken cross the road? It's like, why did the chicken wear pants? <laughs> to, keep stop fucking the hens. The to keep her from fucking the other chickens. <laughs> That's not a joke, motherfucker. That's like the reason that they uh, they wear helmets in the NFL is to keep Tom Brady from kissing all the other players on That's, the lips. That's true. <laughs> Facts. I still don't have an answer, by the way, as to whether or not they Facts. were made for the rooster or if they just picked up kids' pants. I'm fairly certain they just picked up kids', kids pants. pants. I yeah. need to know for sure. This is important to me. I'll look it up. It's fine. So, do ex demonstrate the hyperventilating chicken for us. <laughs> please. So, listeners, I'm sorry, you'll just have to get the audio, but please look it up. It is hilarious. So, it starts with the hyperventilating, but it's through the nose. 
Okay, let's all. <laughs> so then, when, while you're doing that, you bring your hands up uh-huh. like chicken wings okay. and you flap them. Wow, this really is hyperventilating chicken. <laughs> and then... I feel incredibly stupid. <laughs> I feel ridiculous. And then, because you'd be standing while when you're doing this. When does enlightenment happen, guys? Because I feel dumb. <laughs> you'd be standing while you're doing this. So as you're doing that, you're bouncing up and down, essentially. <laughs> I'm getting lightheaded. I don't like this anymore. Well, did it then. <laughs> you're enlightened. Oh, Congrats. God. Oh, my God. I told you, hyperventilating chicken. My face is numb. <laughs> and it's still being used so like this is still a thing that people are doing oh, but man. he's the one that came up with it that was his dynamic That's... breathing i mean there's still people was... out there that drive gremlins i'm not ex- i'm not surprised this was this was his contribution to society yes. <laughs> act like a among chicken. other things among other things we'll get into that in a yeah. minute <laughs> we'll find that he his people have a thing with chickens mm-hmm. what the fuck does it involve pants <laughs> No, it just oh, no. Uh, I'm not interested. <laughs> On September 26, 1970, he initiated his first group of followers called sannyasins. When one became a disciple, they assumed a new name and had to wear traditional orange clothing and mala associated with the ascetic lifestyle. However, his followers were, quote, encouraged to follow a ce- celebratory rather than ascetic lifestyle. So... Even though he was very against Orthodox religions, he was like, no, no, no. You're going to wear the Orthodox religion. You're going to wear clothes. the religious stuff, though. Is that like some uh, uh, Fault in Our Stars shit where it's like, oh, yeah, I don't light the cigarette. You know, I'm, I'm not giving it the power to kill me. Like, I guess. Maybe. <laughs> it's, it's a metaphor. Like, <laughs> it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for me thinking you don't know how metaphors work. Exactly. <laughs> metaphor for a shitty metaphor <laughs> his first disciple ma yoga lakshmi became his secretary and raised the money to allow rajneesh to settle in mumbai it wasn't long however until he said mumbai <laughs> <"Bye." laughs> no. and moved to Pune. due to recent health ailments that were supposedly exacerbated by living in the muggy city the land was purchased with the help of Greek shipping heiress, Ma Yoga Mukta. This became the ashram for his followers and is still in existence under the name Osho International Meditation Resort. The ashram was not just a place for spiritual pilgrimages. It featured, quote, an arts and crafts center. Oh, oh how nice of that. Yeah, that produced clothes, jewelry, ceramics, and organic cosmetics. And that's where they make the pants for chickens. That's yes. Where they make chicken pants. There we go. Glad we got that answer. There's your Which answer. Which came first, the chicken or the pants? There's, <laughs> there's your answer, fishbulb. I mean, the answer to what came first, the chicken or the pants, all lies in whether or not the pants were made for the chicken or they were children's pants. Oh my pants. gosh, shut up. <laughs> Drink, Drink your Kool Aid. <laughs> the arrival of therapists. <laughs> Drink it quieter. Die quicker. The arrival of therapists from the human potential movement led to a growing number of therapy groups at the ashram, and those groups were a major source of income. The typical day at the ashram began at 6 a.m. with chicken breathing. (laughs) Just like that, they've already lost me. (laughs) Was it the 6 a.m. or was it the chicken breathing? Yes. 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 Today on sentences, I didn't think I was going to hear. A typical day at the ashram began at 6 a.m. with chicken breathing. (laughs) All I'm picturing when you said that is them walking out in their orange, like, 
religious garb, picking a chicken up off the ground and going. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the shit. Give me that when it's got pants. Them, them pants hit different. Oh, you gonna make some fine nuggets someday. I'm so fucking ready. There's an awesome chicken in the garbage right now. Like, I just want to do my section. Please. Sorry. Let me no. talk about chicken breathing. No, it just hurts. Oh, it hurts from laughing. <laughs> Huzzah. <sighs> so then, from eight to nine, uh, Rajneesh gave a 60 to 90 minute spontaneous lecture in the Buddha Hall Auditorium. During the day, members would partake in various therapies and meditations. Then, in the evenings, they would come for darshan with Rajneesh, which is basically, they would sit at his feet, and he would either go on and on about some idea or philosophy, or if they had questions, they could ask him, and so on. I have a question. I have several. (laughs) How is it a spontaneous lecture, if there's a time for it? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was more so like he would pick whatever he wanted Subject to talk about. Wise. Yeah, got it. Not like surprise lecture. It's like no, you're going to a lecture. Yeah, you, you just you don't know. know what you're going to hear. Okay, fair. Right. Today's <laughs> lecture is about how we stop the roosters from fucking hens. Anybody and, have any oh. ideas? Enough pants. Chicken pants. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna kick you in the chicken pants. They don't know what that means. <laughs> that means. You'll find out. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? I don't know what happened to you. I got a sunburn and I'm fucked now. (laughs) Some of the therapies at the ashram were not without controversy, though. One group, called the Encounter Group, allowed for physical aggression and sexual encounters between participants. Sometimes at the same time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's called yes. sex punching and it's very therapeutic. <laughs> and it feels great. <laughs> uh, it came. <laughs> if you watch the Netflix documentary Wild Wild Country, mm-hmm. there is video of one of these sessions mm-hmm. and it's it's very interesting. It made me uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> A little. Like, I don't think I should be watching this. <laughs> Because you go from, like, one corner of the room where somebody's, like, yelling and punching and then over to this corner of the room where there's thrusting they're and there's, like, there's and too like, much oh, no, going no, on. I thought that they were, like, the same people. So it was, like, Some really of them, I think, were, sex. but, like, uh, Nah, it's weird. It's weird. Really weird. I was taking fisting to a whole nother Oh, level. it Tell is. Tell me about it. I was <laughs> trying to think of a way to say that and you beat me to it. So I'm very happy you're here. <laughs> For now. For now. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll cut that out. No one will ever know you said it. Richard Price, a member of the Human Potential Movement and co-founder of the Esalen Institute, said he, quote, found the groups encouraged participants to be violent rather than play at being violent. What's the difference? (laughs) Pretend punching. Well, it's the difference between UFC and, like, pro wrestling. Okay. Basically. (laughs) Let's just say that. He supposedly left Puna with a broken arm after, quote, a period of eight hours locked in a room with participants armed with wooden weapons. Shit, if I'm locked in a fucking room for eight hours, I'm breaking someone's arm, too. (laughs) I'm breaking my arm on the door to get out. Yeah. But, like, you you can't tell me that you didn't open the door and see the weapons. And go, hmm. (laughs) Like, no. No. (laughs) 
We're going to be doing what in here? <laughs> All right, now open the door to the weapons room. The what? The what now? Excuse me. <laughs> the what? The what? what did you just say? <laughs> in January of 1979, the violence in groups is said to have ended following a press release that said violence, quote, had fulfilled its function within the overall context of the ashram as an evolving spiritual commune. This all just sounds like a fight club with extra steps. Mm, basically. It, really <laughs> it was a fight club with chicken breathing. Chicken breathing. <laughs> <laughs> the first rule of chicken breathing is you do not talk about chicken breathing. Yes. <laughs> Even with claims of violence, the commune was growing rapidly, and the ashram was quickly becoming too small for all of Rajneesh's followers. That is why, in 1981, with the help of his new secretary, Ma'anan Sheila, the group moved to America to the, quote, Big Muddy Ranch. That's an attractive name. Yeah, that's what that's what its name was. Let's it go over it there really put it all out ranch. there. Which they later called the Rajneesh Param, just outside of Antelope, Oregon. I don't know why I can say Rajneesh Puram and then can't say Oregon. <laughs> and then Oregon. 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 There's nothing wrong with that. Like, it, it's two completely different sections of the brain to be like, okay, now I can pronounce this. I can't pronounce qualm. <laughs> True story. <laughs> I just pronounced it, though. Oh, that was later. Or, uh, earlier. That was, that was later. That was later. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, later. I, I won't be able to pronounce the word qualm. <laughs> so under the guidance of Sheila, Rajneesh and his followers look, began looking for a place to relocate and create a much larger ashram. On June 13th, 1981, Sheila's husband, John Schelfner, signed a contract to purchase the Big Muddy Ranch, a 64,229-acre piece of land, for only $5.75 million. That's a steal. That's a chunk of land. Yeah. No one wants to live in Oregon. Mud and all. Ooh. Except for the weirdo hipsters in Portland. That's true. <laughs> I feel like I would fit in. It's I weird. probably would too. <laughs> I, but... I feel like we would all fit in. I, I'd go there for Bigfoot. They moved to Rancho Rajneesh, that's what they called it, on August 29th of that year. Locals were either hostile towards their new neighbors or tolerant. Their reactions varied greatly dependent on how close they were to the actual ranch. It did not take long for the group to run into legal issues, though. During their first year, Rajneesh and his followers were involved in several legal conflicts regarding land use. The conflicts did not end there. The Rajneeshi, primarily Sheila and other leaders, were, quote, uncompromising and behaved impatiently when dealing with the locals of Antelope. In May of 82, the Rajneeshi wanted to incorporate their ashram into a city to be called Rajneesh Puram. Of course, the locals were not going to allow this, and several groups formed against the Rajneeshi, such as the group A Thousand Friends of Oregon. Oregon doesn't have friends. They lie. <laughs> they lie. Not a thousand, anyway. Not even Washington There's wants like to be friends one. with Oregon. <laughs> Washington's like, we don't know them. <laughs> I mean, last blockbuster, though. Oh, that's right. They do have the last blockbuster. Well, that's their one friend. <laughs> it's a pretty big yeah, friend. A thousand is, a, is kind of a yeah. stretch. Thousand friends fought the Rajneeshi in court and fought to get the city of Rajneesh Piram dismantled. To fight back, the Rajneeshi brought hundreds of homeless people from across the U.S. back to their commune in an attempt to put their members in positions of power through rigged elections. And that's where the homeless people in Oregon came from. 
Essentially. Actually. There's a lot. There's a lot <laughs> yeah, of them. Yeah. Because they would literally, like, get in a bus. And bus them in. And drive to different parts of the city and different parts of the country and be like, hey, we got a place that you can come live. And they're like, well, can we have alcohol? And they're like, you can have two beers a day. Yeah. And homeless people were like, yeah, cool. This <laughs> sounds great. That sounds keen. I mean, that and hipsters are you know, one bad day away from being homeless people. <laughs> I'm sorry, liquor is not allowed. Homer, no function, beer well without. <laughs> so they brought all these homeless people in, and when that failed, the Rajneeshi were left to deal with the homeless population that they brought upon themselves. So what did they do? They drugged the beer and then dropped them off in the surroundings as a big fuck you to the state of Oregon. Wow. Yep. I yeah, wasn't joking went... when I said that that's why Oregon has such a big homeless problem. Yeah, they oh, just no. drop them off in a, at a bus station in a surrounding town. And, and said, fuck you, good luck, goodbye. And then the state had to then return the homeless people back to their home cities at their own expense. Right. So, well, at, not at the state's expense, not the homeless people's expense. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah, so, great job there. Wow. <laughs> Brainy scheme, y'all. During this time, Rajneesh pulled back from his public life and entered into a period of silence. He only communicated with Sheila and his caretaker girlfriend, Ma Yoga Vivek. He gave Sheila power of attorney, and there is some controversy of whether she properly represented what he wanted and which directives were actually from him and which came from her. Up until this point, everything was... Well, not normal. <laughs> not exactly. I wouldn't say normal. I'd say far from. But it was like a moderately acceptable level of crazy-ish. I mean, homeless people was kind of pushing it. Yeah. Like bringing all those in. But like everything else, they weren't, they weren't to Jonestown level yet. Yeah. I'm sure it was like the people that lived there weren't exactly 100% cool with having like this weird cult in their backyard, but since they weren't really doing anything, it was just like a very tense piece at this point of time. Right. It was all dirty eye looks. Like, and... yeah, we're not happy about you being here, but you really haven't outwardly done anything to be threatening. So we're just going to just basically just give each other dirty glares across the street. And that's that. Yeah. And there was a period where um, people from Antelope burnt down the Rajneesh uh, hotel. And so then people uh in the at the big muddy ranch began to learn how to shoot guns yeah, and things of that started nature collecting guns and things so and sheila had said in that same documentary like i didn't have guns here until you guys attacked yeah. so Oof. it was like tensions were definitely kind of escalating they were yes. kind of coming to a slow bubble you know the fact gotcha. that then they ended up with armed with guns obviously not sit well with like the people around in the town and stuff like that and it was not quite a rolling boil yet no right. it was just, it was a slow simmer yeah and everything up until this point also seemed pretty copacetic between bhagwan rajneesh um and sheila until 1984 around October time. At this time, the Rajneeshi had already gained political tr control in Antelope, but that wasn't enough. They'd been denied building permits for Rajneesh Param, so Sheila and other leaders looked to gaining power and political control for the rest of the county, not just Antelope. Three seats became open on the Wasco County Circuit Court, and the group sought two of the three positions. Fearing that they wouldn't get enough votes, and not dumb enough to try to round up homeless people again. 
Some of the Rushdies, she decided to incapacitate voters in the Dales, which is the largest population center in Wasco County. How did they plan to do that, you ask? Salmonella. Oh. Yep. Remember the chickens? Yep, chicken. Oh, it came full circle. Yeah, full circle with salmonella. They chickens contain- are basically just little balls of poison, honestly. Basically, it's true, but, but they're God, delicious. They're so cute. <laughs> I went animal. You went food. Yes. <laughs> I like heard was they're so cute, delicious. <laughs> they're so cute. They're delicious. <laughs> I mean, they are. People. I mean, they are. But I would totally have a pet chicken. I would too. They don't I like to be hugged. Just chicken. don't hug them. Yeah, just I, don't hug them. I tried that. It pecked me. Continue. <laughs> So they contaminated the salad bar and salad dressings of 10 restaurants in the Dales. Because of this, 751 people contracted salmonellosis. 45 people were hospitalized, but thankfully no one died. You know what this tells me? Hmm. Don't eat salad. Just, Just don't. don't eat it at a salad bar. Sure. <laughs> salad is dangerous. Only eat salad that you prepare yourself. That you've washed. Yes, wash people. your vegetables. Yeah. The salad tastes like I'd rather be fat. <laughs> salad is dangerous. This was the first and still is the single largest bioterrorist attack in the U.S. Yes. Yes. On February 28th, 1985, Congressman James Weaver gave a speech in the House of Representatives accusing the Rajneeshis of, quote, sprinkling salmonella cultures on salad bar ingredients. The following September, Rajneesh accused several of his followers, including Sheila, of participating in the poisoning as well as other crimes, including, but of course not limited to, the planned assassination of a U.S. attorney. He asked state and federal officials to investigate, which led to a sample of bacteria matching the contaminant being found in a Rajneesh Puram medical laboratory. So. So, Yeah. He basically threw everyone under the bus and was like, it was not me. I had nothing to do with this. It was everyone else but me. Gotta go. (laughs) But according to the Rajneesh Puram mayor, David Barry Knapp, a.k.a. Swami Krishna Deva. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) That's, yeah. Rajneesh knew about Sheila's plot to decrease voter turnout and told her, quote, it was best not to hurt people but if a few died not to worry basically you gotta if you want to make an omelet you gotta, gotta break, break some eggs. eggs yeah salmonella again <laughs> i wasn't trying to go there but yeah actually yeah, it yeah. fits <laughs> rajneesh left oregon in 85 and was arrested when he landed in charlotte north carolina and was subsequently charged with quote 35 counts of deliberate violations of immigration laws In a plea bargain, he pleaded guilty to two counts of making false statements to immigration officials and received a 10-year suspended sentence and a fine of $400,000. He was then deported and banned from the U.S. for five years. He was never prosecuted for the crimes related to the salmonella poisonings. Sheila and Pooja, however, were arrested in West Germany on October 28th, the day after Rajneesh was arrested back in the U.S., they were extradited back to the United States and were charged with attempting to murder Rajneesh's per- personal physician, first-degree assault for the poisoning of Judge William Hulse, se- second-degree assault for poisoning the Dolls Commissioner Raymond Matthews, wiretapping, and product tampering in relation to the poisonings in the Dales. That is a list. That's a lot. Yes. 
Sheila received 20 years for the attempted murder, 20 years for Judge Hulse's poisoning, 10 years for Commissioner Matthews' poisoning, four and a half years for the restaurant poisonings, four and a half years for wiretapping, and five years probation for immigration fraud. Pooja received a total of 42 years for the aforementioned crimes, as well as three years probation for wiretapping. I lay all this out because it's important Mm -hmm. that they were sentenced to all of this, but they only served 29 months in a minimum security prison before being released for good behavior. Whoa. Yeah. Learning shit today. Yeah. Sheila was sentenced basically the equivalent of life in prison. Yeah. And she got out out. after two years. You can't make an omelet without breaking some hyperventilating chickens. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Sheila's green card was revoked and she moved to Switzerland. Rajneesh returned to uh, Pune following his deportation. Over the next two years, his health deteriorated and he accused U.S. authorities of poisoning him while he was in prison. No, my guy. It was because you were always on drugs and already had a slew of medical issues before going to America. I just love the no, my guy. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. I love me a good conspiracy theory. Y'all know that, but come on, man. That's just... No. <laughs> that's nutsy cuckoo. <laughs> yes, it's bug butt nutters, you might say. <laughs> he changed his name to Osho and continued to give public speeches and lead his commune until his death on January 19th, 1990. You know, it's very, very likely that you could be him reincarnated. No, it's not. (laughs) I mean, maybe. I feel like it takes longer than three years. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. But you're also not, you know, hankering to be a hyperventilating chicken, but you are obsessed with their pants. That's true. Questions and That's what I was getting at. (laughs) If I was him, don't you think I'd already know the answer? Maybe that was the one question he never had answered before he died. (gasps) Completely unfulfilled. It's a lot of chicken work not to know. (laughs) The official cause of death was heart failure, though his commune apparently released a statement saying that he died because, quote, living in the body had become hell after he was poisoned in the U.S. So everyone Uh, bought into that. (laughs) uh... If we poisoned everybody we didn't like, there'd be a lot less people in this country. That's true. This is true. And also, can I have, quote, living in the body had become hell on my tombstone? Yes. <laughs> just that. Just it's a pretty that. nice epitaph. Yeah. I do love it that. It works. That's wonderful. Speaking of epitaphs. <laughs> <laughs> Let's lead you right into this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, his ashes were placed in his bedroom in the Lao Tzu house at the Puna Ashram. And his epitaph reads, never born, never died. Only visited this planet Earth between December 11th, 1931 and January 19th, 1990. No. No. That's some shit. Never born, never died. No. Then whose ashes do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Joke's on you. It's a cigarette. (laughs) Never born, never died. Only visited. Except Uh, no. Except you did, though. You did, Brenda. You did. You died, Brenda. (laughs) And thus concludes the crazy story of Osho and his bioterroristic sex cult. That was wild. Right? And a, <laughs> not a, a lot of ride. people know what he, who he is. Yeah. Because people come in all the time asking for Osho books yeah. and they review 
revere him as this like new age guru yeah, yeah. the no. self-help person. and no one because he changed his name and no one knows it's the same person and it's funny because i loved when i worked at barnes and noble like to burst people's metaphysical bubbles yeah that was 100 percent one of my favorite activities where they would ask for an osho book in the section i'd be like do you know you do know he was a cult leader <laughs> he right? was a cult leader that did a huge bioterrorist attack in oregon and their eyes would just like pop out of their head and then melt and then well up with tears which just sustained me honestly you were like oh here let cry me over taste the cup. tears oh, the tears delicious. of unfathomable sadness they're so salty and delicious i love it and your sadness sustains me <laughs> all right sounds like i'm up next you're up to bat you are I'm up to bat so the cult i will be talking about is actually still around to this day just under a different name Unsettling, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> the Children of God was formed in 1968 in Huntington Beach by founder David Berg. Even saying this fucker's name kind of makes me cringe. <laughs> Berg insisted that his followers call him Moses David, or Mo for short. Hey, Mo! Hey, Mo! How's it going, Mo? <laughs> it's funny to think of a quote-unquote godlike being saying something like, eh, God's too formal. Please, just call me G. <laughs> just call me G. Just call me Mo. Call me Mo. He also dubbed himself King, the last endgame prophet, and simply Moses. Obviously, he had a bit of a chip on his shoulder. Berg would communicate with his followers via letters, which he called Mo letters. Mo letters, Mo problems, am I right? <laughs> I mean, this guy yep. is more of a Mo Lester. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we will get there. <laughs> In these letters, he would dictate how people should live their lives, even controlling simple things like how much toilet paper a member of the group was allowed to use and how much caffeine to consume in a day. Which Fuck, would he would be... have had a field day in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This would be a big problem for me, who uh, pretty much lives on a consistent diet of coffee throughout the day. Sometimes energy drinks. Sometimes <laughs> energy drinks? Every other day. One every other day. Could you imagine you're just like, hey, psst. Can you spare a square? I ran out of my... <laughs> I met my quota and I need it's it. It's cool, man. You... I only used two yesterday. Here, you can have my third. No, you better you learn how Stop to use the three seashells. <laughs> he said don't share toilet paper. You're going to get us in trouble again. <laughs> and yes, who knew Demolition Man was going to predict 2020? Oh, tell no me No contact, it. high fives, and three seashells. <laughs> and Taco Bell being a gourmet restaurant. Continue. Disgusting. <laughs> But also, in order to make these teachings easier for children to understand, they were sometimes presented drawn in comic book form. Here's a fun side note. I was working a tip job once, and I'm pretty sure I got one of these weird-ass comic book pamphlets attempting to teach the, quote, word of God as a tip. I don't know for sure if it belonged to this particular religious group, because as soon as I saw it, I threw the crappy crap-ass booklet into the stupid garbage can, because I was pissed that some old fuck decided it was better to put that into a tip jar than a fucking dollar. Like, that doesn't pay my bills. Yeah. Keith. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> if you're the type of person who does this shit, I guarantee it, you will not be going to heaven. You will burn in hell for that shit. I will see to it. <laughs> or personally. when you get up there, they're going to go, look at your, the book and go, you did what? No, out. Out. Get, get the out. Get the fuck out. She was just trying to pay her bills. <laughs> <laughs> Let me give you a tip. Smile. Excuse me. Oh, I just like became really, really angry. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me give you a tip. Never play leapfrog with a unicorn. 
<laughs> Let me give you a tip. Get the fuck out of my face and never return. <laughs> Let me give you a tip. tip. Let me give you a tip. Just the tip. <laughs> <laughs> Just the tip, am I right? <laughs> hey. <laughs> so the cult's message was all about spiritual revolution and happiness and a severe distrust of the outside world, dubbed the system. Because when it comes down to it, we are all just random codes in this simulation that we call life. Okay, Mongo. <laughs> the system is down. The system, the system is, is down. <laughs> but they were relatively harmless up until about 1976, when they began using what they called flirty fishing in order to attract more converts. <laughs> yeah, the comic is as creepy as it sounds, too. It is. It's really creepy. And... The term flirty fishing is not fun to say out loud at all. No. <laughs> I don't like it. You say potions first. Flirty fishing, flirty fishing. <laughs> <laughs> See, I did it. <laughs> to understand why this was a bit controversial, you have to understand what flirty fishing is. Basically, it's a method of conversion using sex to, quote, show God's love and mercy to potential new members. Female cult members were encouraged to go out to bars and basically prostitute themselves in order to win over new members and spread the word of God. They were spreading something all spread, right. Oh, spreading they, a lot of things. Spread all sorts of shit. They even called themselves God's whores or hookers for Jesus. I'm not making this shit up. And I'm pretty sure this isn't exactly what God had in mind. <laughs> you, you were put on this earth to be my hooker. But not my hooker, just a hooker for me. Jesus is a pimp, you know. Yeah, it's hard out there for a pimp. <laughs> if a woman in the cult was uncomfortable with the idea of flirty fishing, they were promptly reminded that their bodies, quote, did not belong to them, and they had no choice. Who did they belong to? Well, you still got like these five more Jesus. payments to the hospital. Yeah. Um, and then you get your full term. <laughs> yeah, you still have to, you have to make your payments every month. And yeah. <laughs> it's on loan. But yeah, apparently they believe that when Jesus died for your sins, he got something in return for it. It wasn't just a, a nice thing. He got your bodies. So he got your punani? <laughs> he got your punani. <laughs> That's a... And your culo. <laughs> and your culo. <laughs> Some kind of twisted, uh, like, date shit that we deal with now. Like, oh, I bought you uh, dinner, so yeah. you've got to give me the punani. Yeah. yeah. Some bullshit. Like, no, you just bought me dinner because you're a sucker. <laughs> I don't even buy myself dinner. It's true. <laughs> Male cult members did not participate in flirty fishing as the thought of potential homosexuality was frowned upon. Who's surprised? Show of hands? Shock. Shocker. No one's raising their hands, which means nobody's surprised. <laughs> so women were expected to keep track of their fruits, as they called them. <laughs> that the, makes me laugh. Of the loom. Of their labor. Of the loom. Of the loom. <laughs> So records actually show that more than uh, 223,000 men had been fished between 1974 until the official end of... Official end. <laughs> sorry. Official end. Official <laughs> end of flirty fishing in 1987. The practice supposedly only stopped because of the AIDS epidemic. Also, birth control was frowned upon, meaning that more often than not, women would become pregnant with Jesus babies. Ugh. So, fun fact, because you mentioned the AIDS epidemic, uh -huh. um, with Osho, he predicted, supposedly, yeah. that two-thirds of humanity was going to die due to AIDS, uh -huh. and so he had all of his followers, one, wear condoms, and two, wear rubber, rubber gloves, gloves. <laughs> to prevent the spread of AIDS. 
I mean, condoms, that part makes sense, but I'm not sure where the rubber gloves fit in. I don't think that means what you think, think it, it means. means. <laughs> and it's Friday. I'm in gloves. <laughs> I hate this. I mean, I love it, but I hate this. So now that we know a little about flirty fishing and why it's just a little on the fucked up side, let's delve into what makes it extra fucked up. The group has been accused, with substantial evidence to back it up, of sexually abusing minors and forcing underage girls within the cult to participate in flirty fishing. In 1978, amidst arguments about whether or not it was wrong to prostitute minors, I guess, because that's totally something to debate. That's that's up for debate? <laughs> mm, I think it's wrong, but, you know, Joe Bob over there doesn't think so. Joe Bob. <laughs> A large chunk of people actually left the organization, and the remaining members changed their name to the Family of Love. Despite the name change, the cult's beliefs remained the same, and the name change did nothing for the creepy yeah, factor. It's extra creepy, actually. Now it it's extra creepy. <laughs> it brings love. Get him. <laughs> it brings love to live. Get away. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> David Berg had told members of the family that God was love, and love was sex. So that there should be no limits regardless of age or relationship. I don't feel like that's what the transitive property of algebra was intended to yeah, prove. Yeah, I don't no. think so. It's not. The that's... distributive property. <laughs> that's right. I'm still over here trying to figure out what A is. So Yeah, right. <laughs> A equals B times what? <laughs> you know, he said that basically there's no limits regardless of age or your relationship with somebody. Meaning sex with underage individuals and incest? Good. Homosexuality, though, still a big problem. Makes perfect sense, Makes right? Sense. Your roadmap to follow this one, Jesus Christ. Just a little. Oh, and it gets bugfuck nutters later. <laughs> As if it hasn't gotten bugfuck nutters It's kind of already there. <laughs> oh, it gets funnier. <laughs> the abuse children in the group suffered was not limited to sexual abuse. There were several reports of physical abuse as well if a child did not act right in the eyes of any of the leaders. Bedwetting or excessive crying, both common problems in young children, were viewed as demonic possession and would be beaten out of the child. Which is awful. I mean, it's awful anyway, but yeah, like... This whole thing is awful. Bedwetting is, awful. is yeah. typically a sign of abuse in yeah. young children. Exactly. So it's like, you're abusing them, and then you're causing this, and then you're abusing them some more, but in a different way. Exactly. Like, you're basically setting them up for abuse, yes. is what that is. So there were reports of children being thrown through windows, physically beaten for not smiling enough, because this is some weird fucking cult, that's yeah. what we're talking about, yeah. <laughs> and you had to smile in a cult. <laughs> and even babies were savagely spanked for displeasing any of the leaders. What can a baby do to piss off anybody? It's a baby. It gave me the finger. <laughs> <laughs> I taught it to do that. <laughs> The abuse was usually followed by extra love and hugs, which, as we all know, is a form of brainwashing. Yes. The children were told that the beatings were because the group loved them, and they were doing it for the good of their soul. The children were forced to thank them for the abuse and apologize for upsetting anyone, to which I would have responded, I'm sorry. Sorry you hit like a bitch! <laughs> and spit right in their eye. And I would have been thrown through a window. There's... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's... Literally, when they talk on the... I think it was on that same cult documentary that was on A&E, because they, they profiled several different cults, and Children of God was one of them, mm -hmm. where they talked to one of the survivors of, of this cult, and they talk about David Berg's granddaughter was picked 
with her at the same time to go to his house in the Philippines. Yeah. So he had a house in the Philippines where he had all his, you know, that was his, and it was like, they were told it was like, oh, this was a very, this is a privilege. This is an honor. And then when they get there, they're like both 13. Mm -hmm. And he goes, okay, well, you're going to be my wife. One of my wives now. Yeah. And they were like, wait, what? And so he wanted to marry and fuck his own granddaughter. (gasps) Yeah. If that gives you any kind of compass on the absolute fucked up nature of this man he wanted to have sex with his own granddaughter and when she said no and like resisted they sent her off to germany i think to this like basically a a deprogramming camp Mm -hmm. where she was treated for having demons because she didn't want to fuck her own grandfather oh how dare you how dare you not want to fuck your grandfather christ i was like what the actual fuck is this? There's actually a documentary on Netflix. It's just called The Children of God, and I watched it. And I was going to quote a little bit from it, but it seemed, it it was like one single thing in this whole big giant fucked up thing. So I didn't really focus on it too much, but one of the things that stood out to me was uh, one of the girls said, we could technically refuse to, like, be shared with people. That's what they called it. Yeah. They called it sharing. Uh, we could refuse, but if a leader said that they wanted to share with us, then we were not allowed to you refuse. Had to you had to basically do, do it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was... And then you were punished, obviously, like, if you didn't. And then she had... I guess she testified against them, like, when, all, like, all this stuff, like, started coming out. She was, like, one of the very vocal... Like, his granddaughter was one of the very vocal people. Good girl. And... But the sad thing is, I guess they've had such a rampant... Um, rash of suicides because of the things that have happened in this cult that it's not very uncommon one of the survivors says she knows at least a hundred people that were former members of this cult that have committed suicide yeah that's another big thing that that pops up a lot this makes me just want to castrate him it's too bad he's already dead yeah he died in 94 i mean Mm -hmm. it's a good thing i don't know where he's buried because you want to see somebody behave like an asshole (laughs) i'll show you i will gladly piss on that grave oh yeah it's a good thing we don't know where he's buried because we would take turns yes 100 yeah, <laughs> percent. oh wait i gotta go again <laughs> drinking powerade just <laughs> i gotta go again <laughs> eating all the asparagus so it's really stinky pee <laughs> in 1989 the group released a statement saying that in 1986 they were told that any sexual contact with a child was an excommunicable offense However, with this came the admittance that abuse of minors had indeed occurred before 1986 and had only been officially corrected that year. The group did not disband even after Berg's passing in 1994. Instead, the mantle of leader was taken up by Karen Zerby, who insisted on going by Mama Maria, Queen Maria, or Maria David, which makes it creepier. I'd rather just, I don't know. Or stupid bitch. Or dumb bitch. I don't know. I wouldn't call you Maria David. I just don't like it. It it makes me feel heebie-jeebie. <laughs> you know what I will call you, though? <laughs> call you dumb A cunt. <laughs> That's what I'll call you. Big time. <laughs> she still holds the title of leader to this day, and the family now goes by the Family International, or TFI. Despite the death of their former leader and the end of the practice of sleeping with minors, the group did not get less bat-shitty. <laughs> <laughs> Here are just a couple of recent teachings from the Family International. Members believe that they are, quote, soldiers in the spiritual war of good versus evil, and they're equipped for said war through the use of new spiritual weapons. 
These include spirit helpers such as angels, dead relatives, Merlin, Elvis, and Richard Nixon. Again, not making this up. Why not Richard Nixon? (laughs) I don't appreciate my relatives being pulled into this. It's the jowls. They also had, like, Audrey Hepburn in there. I picked just a couple. (laughs) It's weird that they would just, like, okay, angels. All right, I guess I can see that. Dead Dead relatives. relatives. Okay. Merlin. This took a turn. Uh, and then wait, Elvis what? and then Nixon. Yeah, and like, and then celebrities. Like, wait, what? The what? Yeah, and I think uh, uh, Marilyn Monroe is in there as well. What the? It's fuck? fucking. I'm not making this up. It Richard. sounds completely made up. Like I'm literally just making this up as I go along. Well, and that's the thing is like most of these things. Like when you look at externally from a lot of these cult philosophies and things like that, you look from the outside and you go. Who the fuck actually believes this? Really? Like, how, how does this? How did you look at this and go? Yeah. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> this, nah, not this. <laughs> Another teaching is simply called loving Jesus. I mean, that sounds like the base idea of any religious group. However, TFI takes it a step further because, of course, they do. <sighs> loving Jesus is the term TFI members use to describe their intimate sexual relationship with Jesus Christ. Ugh. Ugh. This teaching encourages followers to imagine Jesus is joining them during sexual intercourse or masturbation, which must make Jesus a very busy, very tired person. <laughs> like, oh, son of a bitch, Karen's flicking her bean again. <laughs> Gotta go stand in her room and leer over her while she says my name. Uh, then the Petersons are gonna have boring vanilla sex that I have to, like, I don't know, hold the blanket for or something. I don't know, man. Can't y'all just stop fucking for five minutes? Jesus needs a break. <laughs> to do a quick recap this is a creepy religious sex cult that victimized children and is still around to this day talking about how elvis will protect you in the battle of good versus evil and severely pissing off jesus with your weird sexual antics gives a, sec- a whole other meaning to the second coming of christ mm-hmm. and how <laughs> that's my story well that is the end of that tour of nonsense holy <laughs> crap a good note to end on right? i guess <laughs> also side note river phoenix and his family were in that cult as well yeah so it was a uh, rose mcgowan as mm-hmm. well which uh that was another thing that in my research i was kind of looking into but couldn't find anything 100 yeah. confirmed so i just didn't really include it yeah it's still worth mentioning though but it's like it's just an interesting like like eh, like it's, it's nuts. It's really nuts. Yeah. So, yeah, feel free to check out any of the documentaries that we've used for reference for this episode. Uh, Wild Wild Country is on Netflix, and it's about the Rajneeshi. Um, the Children of God one is also on Netflix as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the A&E uh, Cults, and I think it's called Cults and Cult something exposed or something like that. It's on Hulu. If you look under A&E and Cults, it comes up. Yeah. And it has uh, profiles of about five or six different... Um, cults and their survivors on it and they kind of talk about their experiences in the cult how they got out um it's very interesting Mm -hmm. so but that's all the time we have for today spooky nation wait are we the cult leaders of spooky nation (gasps) if so then i'm 100 comfortable with that we aren't asking you to sacrifice anyone yet leave that to us right (laughs) (laughs) but please follow us on all social media as this spooky show we love hearing from you guys Also, please do check out our merch store like we talked about earlier. We do have those very special merch designs, um, as well as the masks available that are in a couple designs exclusive to this episode. So join us in two weeks when we discuss 
your favorite subject. This is one of my favorites of all time. (laughs) We discuss one of the most mysterious and famous unsolved cases of all time. The serial killer known as the Zodiac. In episode 22, the most dangerous animal of all, the elusive Zodiac killer. Stay spooky, friends.